When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How do you piece together not only visceral beauty, but pace your drama? We're here with filmmaker Maggie Gyllenhaal and her editor, Alfonso Goncalves, who are talking about The Lost Daughter. Tell me about how um, Elena's novel resonated with you. Um... Well, I, 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 I read, I, I read The Lost Daughter, but I have also, before that, I had read a few other of her novels, um, all of which really hit me hard. And I think it's because um, she's so uncompromisingly truthful and she's truthful about things that we don't talk about very much. Um, in some cases, things that I think we've agreed not to even think about. Uh, but that doesn't make them not exist. Um, and, and about a lot of things about the experience of being a woman in the world um, and including motherhood, of course, which is a big part of this movie, but also um, just a feminine experience in general, what it really feels like um, to be a woman who's a, a thinker, who's an artist, who's um, a lover uh, and also who's a mother. And uh, I guess I was really, stunned by her truthfulness. And I think there's something inherently truthful about telling the truth, and in particular, um, telling the truth about something that's taboo. Everyone leans in for that. Now, I had heard, and correct me if I'm wrong, that she only wanted you to direct this. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I wrote to her and I, uh, I appealed to her for the rights to uh, adapt it and also to direct it. I told her I wanted to direct it. But to be honest, I had in the back of my head the sort of thought, like, let's just take this one step at a time. I'll do the adaptation. I'll see how it feels. And her response to my letter was, yes, you can have the rights, um, but, but the contract is void unless you direct it which was, um, uh, I took her seriously and it was, a, um, I think a needed vote of confidence from kind of somewhere out in the stratosphere because you know, Ferrante is uh, anonymous. So I don't know who she is other than these kind of emails <laughs> that I would get, yeah. You've never met her? No, no, I haven't. Wow. I don't know that's who she is. No one knows who she is. <laughs> She's oh, alone. wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Did you have the same agent or? No, no. I, I, I just loved her books. But Fonz, did you read the piece she wrote in the New Statesman about the movie? I, no, I didn't even know. I'm, I'm going to send it to you. Oh, great. Wow. Yeah. Tell amazing. us about that. What, <laughs> in, in, 
in brief? Well, I mean, look, like we, one of the things that was amazing about, you know, the whole process, but like, let's just talk about the editing process because we have Fonz here is like, we, it was a pandemic. It was just us, was you and me and Ron, his assistant. And that was it. And we didn't even see anybody else when we were working. We decided now and then after a while to show the film to people who we respected and who we thought would pick up what we were putting down. But really, it was us. It was ours. And um, so I don't know, having Ferrante see it almost felt the way it felt like when we would send it off to someone who we loved. Oh, let's go see if Tony Kushner will watch it. You know, let's see if Emma Thompson will watch it. Like here, getting this email back from, or, you know, I, getting an email back from Emma Thompson sort of felt similar to like reading this new statesman piece from Ferrante. And she, I mean, like, how do I put this? In a way, she's our audience. In a way, she's the conversation that we're having. The movie's very different from the book, but it's a conversation with the book. And then on the other hand, our real audience too is like people who never would have picked up Ferrante, who were like, what, that's not my thing, but who still, I think, would be moved and opened up and comforted and disturbed by the things that she's offering. And so like on either side of the spectrum and then all the people in between, <laughs> who, you know, but, but to have her, basically she says, I see it, I get it. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing what you're doing and I'm, I'm moved by it. You know, she really, it was great. One more question before we segue to the editing, the Greek themes, can you comment on that? It's like Medea, but it's not Medea. Um, right. Well, okay. All right. Let's go quick to how we got to Greece, which was in some ways totally out of left field or totally out of like my unconscious. We, the, the original adaptation, when you read it, Fonzie, it was, it was the States, right? When I read it, it was, yeah. 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 It was, yeah. It was the whole, yeah, it was supposed to be the Jersey Shore or maybe like. Well, it was. We were gonna okay. So the book takes place in Italy. She's um, in in Naples, like in the beach uh, outside of Naples, and she's an Italian woman and scholar. Um, and then I adapted it to take place in a kind of unnamed um, eastern seaboard beach town. But I, it was kind of like Maine. I don't say Maine, but that's what I wanted, like pine trees and gothic and lobster rolls and stuff. And then. Maine has a okay I have to go fast through this but Maine has like a five has a 5% tax incentive and it was impossible to get the funding there. So then my producers were like let's try Jersey, and we went down to southern Jersey, which has a 37% tax incentive and uh, and and we were all of a sudden we like had our money and we were going to go and we had a budget that worked and. Um, and then the pandemic happened and two things happened during the pandemic. Um, one was that it became clear that it was going to be really difficult to shoot in Jersey. And second, I also just finally listened to myself to say, this movie is not meant to be shot in New Jersey. This is not right. And um, and so then we kind of went back to the drawing board, but it was in the pandemic. We tried Rhode Island, uh, but we had a really international cast and crew in French DP, Israeli producers, British and Irish actors, and we couldn't get the visas. We tried Nova Scotia um, because it felt like 
um, Maine, uh, but they didn't want us. You know, they were like, don't come here <laughs> because it was a pandemic and we were from too many places. And then one day, literally, I just went, maybe Greece. And, you know, you mentioned Medea. I mean, I wasn't thinking about Medea, but I was thinking about, well, yeah. I mean, could you get more to like the source of the mother than Greece? I mean, I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> so however that plays in, however that 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 hits the movie and feeds it, um, I think we welcomed it. And here she is. She's a fish out of water at, at, at the resort. And they're like a Greek chorus around her. The people, they're talking about her. They're, it, it was just... That's a cool. whole just yeah. amazing yeah tell me both about your inspirations visually for this because the camera is up close it's over the shoulder it's a little shaky just a little and it, it's just really the drama is there and then even the way that you start it with the bluesy song and in the and and the way the credits come up it's, yeah. it's, it's, tell me about that, the inspiration and, and just where you wanted the camera and Afonso, the shots that you were looking for. You can go, Maggie. <laughs> oh, I was just thinking about uh, all the things that you were mentioning. Well, I mean, first of all, there's visual language of the movie, which um, you know, has more to do probably first with the collaboration with Helen, the uh, my Helen Louvart, my incredible cinematographer. And, you know, I love the way you put that, you know, a little, little bit shaky, Helen would call that her machine, right? Her like, she has a sort of very lo-fi, you know, kind of machine she's made that's almost handheld, but not. She operates every, every single shot in the movie. We had a Ronin, a, a kind of, um, Steadicam operator a couple of times, but Fonz and I didn't use any of those shots. And it was basically because we couldn't feel Helen in them. Um, I mean, there's so much to say about the the cinematic language and what we were going for. And in some ways we're we're playing on a very classic thriller form, um, you know, uh, even uh, movies that are ironic about a thriller like Godard or, you know, but we're talking about in the way we adore Dakota, like an Antonioni movie. And but I, I kind of want to refocus it to Fonzie because I was thinking about um, what happens in the beginning. So uh, basically we, we had a whole almost kind of opening section of the movie. And when I first sat with Fonz, we were like, I said, well, first I saw his assembly and I just think this is so interesting that like, I think, uh, how do I put this? I really do think that our collaboration uh, without a doubt is one of the most exciting collaborations I've ever had as a uh, person making movies. And, and, and I do think it's so interesting though that like we, I see the the assembly, which is just basically putting it together. We haven't interacted yet, and it's not the movie at all. It's something else that's a, a, a thing that's got value. But then, like as we, the second we started working, which was basically like we sit down together, and I say, "Do you think there's anything that can just immediately go?" And Fawn says, "This whole first section." <laughs> I was like, "So true. It can just go." I think it maybe hurt like twenty minute twenty minutes. I was like, oh, "I don't know," and then. And then and I'm like, yeah, yeah, fuck it, go. And we just chopped it off. 
And then we just kept, we just kept getting rid of the fat in that first scene too, until, which really was your confidence. I, I think your hands are all over that really like, yeah, let's go further. Let's go more. That was when we sort of just so that we like cut into this super close up of Olivia. And then I remember the shot where she's swaying and loving that. And we said that was like Antonioni uh, sort of swaying right before she walks down to the beach and passes out. We never could lose that, but we just kept getting rid of fat. Then the the um, you're talking about we cut right into that song, but also you're even talking about the titles. I mean, one thing I really want to say is that um, I had anticipated before making the movie or in a pandemic, right, that I would watch tons of film, that I would give myself uh, a film education that I hadn't had. I mean, I somewhat had, but I didn't. Um, when I really watched tons of films was when I was cutting. And so many of them came from, from Fonzie and uh, conversations I would overhear that he was having with Ron and say, what are you talking about? Or, and one of them was E Fidanzante. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, where we had been getting some notes like, um, I don't know, pacing or <laughs> what was, wow, that, nothing happens in that movie, but I loved it. And Fawn said, look at the beginning because also it plays with time and sound. And, and uh, I also loved the credit sequence. And I basically was like, I wanna rip off that credit <laughs> sequence and use it in our movie. The, the, the great thing is like, once we sat down in the cutting room, it was just like, we were on. There was yeah. not like, let's warm up or anything. Like we are on, we hit the ground running from day one. Yeah. This works, this doesn't work. Let's try this. And it just like, it just, it's so, it's so, I mean, it was amazing. It was the best experience I've ever had in the cutting room because it was so freeing. And I can be like, let's go deep. Let's explore. Let's distill to the essence of, of everything. But also, like, if there's a shot of, of Olivia Swain, let's have her sway. Let's, like, right. enjoy. Let's, like, really embrace that. And we, once we took the, 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 the opening, like, the whole thing that happened, the whole background, Olivia, it was nice, too, that the first shot of the movie, it's her mm. walking. She's, mm -hmm. like, in movement, and you don't quite know. There's something about that that puts you on... on I mean, for like a better word, in her shoes, you know, just like you're there, you're moving, things are happening, and you need you need a second to, to, to like get your bearings, which I think it helps so much, you know, to be in, and then we can come up, and there's sort of like a dance that we keep doing with the film and the use of shots and the length of shots and this kind of stuff, yeah. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Did you rewrite the movie in the editing room? We often hear about this like on a Malick film. Did you, did you find a completely different movie than from what you had adapted originally? 
I really don't think so. I mean, I think we, someone was asking me about the tone of the movie and, um, and I was thinking like, the tone of the movie never took like a 180 or really changed in the whole process, but it just got clearer and clearer and more distilled and maybe wilder and braver in each process from adapting to shooting to then ultimately cutting. Um, and I think there were definitely one thing I found really interesting was here and there, there were places, well, I really needed to construct a script that would hold me when we were shooting and would hold the movie. So I didn't leave things that I didn't think worked in the script. But once we went into cut, there were a couple of places where I was like, why doesn't this work? It totally worked on the page. It worked on the day. And yet here it's, it's not alive, even though it was alive on the page and in the actor's mouths and in Helen's hands. Why doesn't it work? And there were and that those places we had to reconsider. But what do you think? Do you think we re what, what do you think about that? No, I don't think we rewrote uh, at all. I mean, we adjusted and then I think I always believe that once I mean the film as the film wasn't the page is still there, but there's a there's a reality that lives within the film. Like you you find that the, the people are acting or reacting or living in that world. And quickly you realize like, would that person do this in this environment or would they be a little bit different because this, this we are creating that world. So they have to exist in that world. They have to be believable in that world. And that's sort of like we are adjusting. And we found little things that like the very end with the, with the, with the orange peel, that, that wasn't, I, I wouldn't say that's a rewrite. I think that's sort of like, it actually enhances the idea of the end. And in, in, in time, they're like, you can really go very, very detailed and very deep into also when, when Leda's on the phone with her daughters, you hear her or you hear them, but you don't really hear them. Yeah. But they're there, they exist. And yeah. that makes a difference because there were, there were times that we were playing there, you, you wouldn't hear anything. Yeah, I remember but, when I tried to do them. <laughs> That was terrible. Yeah. No, but, I, it, but you need to play those things. And it makes a difference. You don't think it does, but it's like, it's a level. So you feel the existence, but it doesn't need to be literally what they're saying. You're like, it, it, I mean, you would you hear it in the big screen and stuff, but it doesn't. It almost doesn't matter. Like, you just have to have a feeling of it. Yeah, yeah. And that's how you adjust. It's sort of really the fine tuning that, that you may not realize exists, exists. Like, you're not paying attention to cicadas all the time even though the cicadas are there but that is sort of like that kind of the world you create which is not the world you see is the world you hear is also makes a difference so yeah it's, it's great to play everything but ultimately it's it's the script no but F fonzie found that what he's talking about the um very end of the movie where we go back at the end to i mean we don't want to give too much away in case people haven't seen it but I think it's okay. We go back to Jesse and the little girls singing "Feel It Like a Snake" at the very end, and it's it. The movie needs it. It's not complete until you have that, and that was not in the script. And that was it. Was like a massively important 
change, but right, not like a whole thing rewritten, but without that, do you have an ending? I mean, not really, not the way we now do, you know? And um, so I guess in some ways, yes. Also, I, I remember someone in like the business side of things early on when we were like negotiating weeks of sound and weeks of editing saying to me, well, you're going to want to overlap your sound design with your cutting. And I was thinking, well, I'd never done it before, but I was like, no, I think I'm going to want to cut and then I'm going to want to go into sound design. But I don't know how it would have worked if I weren't working with an editor like you, who's so attuned to storytelling through sound. Um, because obviously that's a huge part of the work that that we did in this film. Um, and so also in terms of editing uh, the dialogue and script and stuff, there were times we found we didn't need this section because you could overlay this dialogue over this image and cut in much later, you know, things like that. That storytelling through sound is a huge part of it. Um, you bring up the ending. Was the ending intended to be open-ended so that we could bring our own interpretations to it? Or does she die? Or no, the kids, the kids are there and there's a relationship. So interesting. Everyone's so into this. <laughs> well, my wife, my wife, who has a master's in film studies, I, I you know, I, I said to her, I said, what was your interpretation of the ending? And she says, I don't know. <laughs> she, said, she said, you could say she loves the movie. She absolutely loves the film. So. What do you think? What are you going to say? No, I just, I, I find it interesting. I, interesting because my assistant, Ron, who was like, uh, he's so smart and he knows so much about movies. And, and he, 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 he says to me, he's like, I think she died. And I'd be like, no, I don't think so. He's like, but I, don't know, I think she does. I'd be like, I think you're wrong. But we always, almost like in a playful way. It's, yeah. Uh, there is a reconciliation. There is a reconciliation. There is a resolution. Well, let me say, let me say this. I love this. I so love it. I've read pieces about it where people are writing about it and I love it. So I don't want to like put anything to bed, except yeah. that, you know, the only thing I would say is that um, this is not a movie that's trying to punish this woman. This is a movie about uh, trying to understand and love and empathize with someone who does something so painful that causes so much pain, both to her and the children that she loves that it's almost unbearable we're not saying you go outside the box and then you have to get punished right so um i do think i think that this character is a hero and i think she's a hero because unlike a lot of us she's brave enough to look at the darkest most painful parts of herself and when she does um she finds like often happens a little bit of life there um and you know the orange i i think one of well i i think this is a movie about someone's mind their internal mind the strangeness of a mind the magic in a mind the um the unconscious you know and so um i think it doesn't nest well well it doesn't necessarily, well, I don't know what to say about that, except that 
that's the world we're in, you know, um, uh, where magic does come into our lives, things appear and they don't necessarily need uh, a rational explanation. Afonso, sometimes there's a dialogue between the editor and the DP. Was that going on? I mean, different, different DPs work differently. Sometimes they welcome an editor saying, hey, we need more coverage of this particular scene. Could you, could you expound on that? Were you looking, were you asking for certain shots in a given day? No, I wasn't okay. asking. I mean, we had, me, me and Maggie had a, like, maybe a little bit of a conversation about it. The interesting thing is when you were shooting, what we are actually doing is sending songs back and forth. That we found that like, the, the, like finding that dialogue through music was already, but I, I mean, I actually never met Helene. I think there's like, she's, she's incredible. She's an incredible, when the first time Maggie would talk about it, she says, Helene is shooting and I'd be like, I'm, I'm a huge, huge fan of her work. She's, she's fantastic. And so I felt, for lack of a better word, I felt like a, a spiritual connection with the work and a, whatever she was sending to me in the cutting room, Maggie and Helene, I was like, that's what she's talking that's what she's saying i get it I'm, I'm taking it in i'm already thinking about how can i use and how can I like because it is it is not only we have incredible actors and a beautiful script and incredible director but i have the gift of this this super talented uh, cinematographer so i like he's just like oh i this is what i have to work with and that's amazing what was the most challenging sequence or one of the most challenging sequence to cut? Um, I mean, challenging, the, the sequence that we kept coming back because we really wanted to get the best of probably the sequence with a, with a pin mm. uh, in the market that was, Oh, in the market, yes. Yeah, in the, the market. market, yeah, at the market. Uh, Just yeah, because yeah. it's like how much we want of it and what's what's necessary and because they're moving along, there's a lot of things happening. Uh, so that was a, that was probably what we really put our heads like, this is not, we were never quite happy till, till the end when we found yeah. the sort of like the right brew and like, okay, th this is it, you know, like we, we went a little daring, we tried different things like, do they have to, do they have this, does this, this thing, does the dialogue doesn't need to be, doesn't need to be in sync. Things mm -hmm. can be like a little bit like elliptical and stuff like that. So it was a challenge, but I think uh, because we wanted to make sure like, what is the best scene that we can get out of this? Because it's such an important scene. Yeah, I think that's true. And, and that was one we're talking about where what was happening happening sonically, uh, right? Like Fonzie's saying, doesn't always match up with what's happening visually. But I thought that was actually really interesting. Where that scene was a lot longer. That's a scene that changed, um, and uh, 
so much of the initial part of the scene is these women talking about something up here, like up on one level, when really what's being communicated is much, much deeper down. And that was interesting to watch them do, but we realized we didn't need so much of it. But also, I wonder if I can articulate this, what you did in terms of taking the dialogue, separating the dialogue from the image, was that it really says that articulates to the audience what they are saying is not what you need to be paying attention to here. What you need to be paying attention to here is some other thing that's going on between them. And it's not until they land and really look at each other and say, okay, I need you to tell me the truth about something that we really connect the dialogue and the and the picture. Um, so yeah, that one also the end, we really wanted to get that right. We worked and worked on the end. That was beautiful because we really kind of, I feel like the end, we almost like shook everything up, threw it on the ground. I mean, I remember when that started to work, I think we spent a day of it really not working. <laughs> okay, shake it up again, throw it on the ground. Uh, that was a place where I thought it was really strong in the script. And then when we put it together, exactly how the script worked, <laughs> it did not work, you know? And then of course there's the, to us, famous octopus scene, which um, which I think was just really inspired editing work from, from Fonzie. Um, that was written as two separate scenes that moved chronologically where he arrives with octopus. They have a nice scene in the kitchen where they cook the octopus. And then they have a nice scene in the living room where they eat the octopus. But even though I was very proud of the writing and the actors were fucking great. I mean, it's Ed Harris and Olivia Coleman and it's Helen Louvart and she's just killing it. We put it together. And what a murderer's row, seriously. I mean, like, but, but, but then we put those two scenes together in the way that they were conceived and they were actually not that interesting. It was weird and um, we couldn't figure out why. And, and then, like I said, uh, Fonzie and Ron had been suggesting all these movies to me to watch. It would be like I would come in in the morning and they would be saying, oh, it's kind of a tone, the tone of the tenant. Um, and I would say, like, what's the tenant? And oh, it's this Polanski movie. And I would go watch it and then come in the next day. Oh, yeah, I see what you mean. It's kind of hard. It's a little funny. It's and then they were talking about don't look now. And um, I had seen that movie, but not for a long time. And I had seen it just a couple of days before. And when we found the scene didn't, didn't work, we decided let's cut it like the sex scene in, in Don't Look Now, where they're making love and getting dressed at the same time. Let's have them cooking octopus and eating octopus at the same time. And Fonzie was like, all right, give me half an hour. <laughs> what, Maggie, what is the, you've mentioned some of them, the biggest, some of the biggest takeaways. What did you learn about filmmaking from, from Afonso? Was it, was it about the sound? Was it the sound design? Was it, obviously there were, you, you watched a lot of films, but what do you have a better understanding now about with filmmaking, having worked with him? I was really inspired by Fonzie's confidence. You know, I think the movies that I really like um, are movies that make you work to understand people's relationship to each other. How do you feel about their morality? How do you feel about their interaction? Uh, I'm not as compelled as someone who watches movies by movies that hand it to me, lay it out, I get a little bored. Um, and that is the kind of film I wanted to make. But there were times where I was like, 
is that clear? Do people understand this? And Franz was always like, yes, move forward, you know? Um, oh, I mean, God, I learned so many things. I, I think, what did you see me learn? I, I just like to, I mean, what do you think? What did you, I, I mean, I think we learn what I love about being an editor is that I, I'm always looking for to get better and learn. And I found like I got better. I got so much better and I got to like experiment so much. It's not usually the case that your the film asks for it. The, the film is open for that. I think trust the film, trust the story. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of like something that I like to like when I'm watching, I'm watching everything. It's like, you know, we let's we can trust it's there. It exists. Mm -hmm. It's really there. People may have to work and people are kind of a little scared, even like the people around us that work, the producers, like, is this clear? Is this not? Be like, it's really not about that. Yes, it is clear. Uh, you just have to really look because to me, we gave everything that you needed to go in this journey. Uh, you may have to pay a little closer attention, I think. I think that's maybe that's what it is. And like trust, can trust mm -hmm. the, the material, trust the movie. Two more questions. When did you both know it was done? Oh, I have something to say about this. Fonzie taught me this. He said, because I was nervous because he was going to do another movie. We had no money. We had a very short post-production schedule and I was nervous I was gonna lose him before we were done. And at first he was like, I understand. We don't have a lot of time. Okay, let's work nights and weekends. Like, let's make it happen, you know? And, um, and then at a certain point he started to go, oh no, we're gonna be done. We're gonna be done. Like, don't worry, it's gonna be okay. And I said, Well, I, I am worried. He was like, I understand, but we're gonna be done. And um, and then he said to me, he said, What's gonna happen is that we're gonna start changing things and putting them back. We're gonna change things and then put them back. And when that starts to happen a few times, you're done. I mean, am I am I that's how I absorbed it? And then I watched yeah. that start to happen to us, and we were like. I think we're done. And I, I remember getting a little nervous actually on our very last day because we finished a whole day early and a day was like, I mean, really important. And we finished a whole day early and I was like, I remember there was like a little thing with Ed and I like wanted to take a few frames out or something. And you were like, yeah, take it out or don't take it out. It doesn't matter. We're done. <laughs> you know? And uh, yeah. I, it, what, what do you think? Is that kind of your... Yeah, that's, that's, I feel like it's, it's right. It's like, I mean, for a really bad analogy is like you keep driving and then you, you find yourself like I'm two, I'm two blocks away. I should have turned like back. So you just turn back and go back to where and you start experimenting. You feel like one, I mean, you, you run the danger of getting bored with things, which is also a little It's like, let's take this out. It's not only like, yeah, you start taking it out because you're just like, ah, I don't like this. Be like, wait, 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 this is important. But you do it. You do it. It's part. It's part of the, the. It's part of the exercise. Also, let's take it out. Does it work you better? No, it doesn't. Put it back in. Mm. Then you take it out. Does it work you better? Yeah, it actually does work you better. So mm. you, you go in the dance when it's everything so tight. And uh, I think it's Howard Hawks that said like a movie is never finished; it's abandoned. I understand the concept, but I, I also think like no, we we. We didn't want to let go. You don't want to let go either because it's so we do it's so much fun. But you can't you can't overcook a movie, and we didn't. We like this is it now. Now that we did the, the take out, put it back, take out, put it back. There's nothing else to take out because everything else we like we, it was working and it was satisfying. 
And, and that is the amazing thing about working with an expert as a first time director to, to have someone who knows that who's lived that, you know, I mean, that's just one of a hundred other things I could name of ways that working with an expert is a, like the hugest gift, but that was really helpful. That's like a place where my lack of experience made me nervous. And if you're nervous is when you lose confidence, when you're not artistically free. And here's Fawn's going, I don't know, well, no, well, no, I'm not worried about that. You can lean on me there. And I was like, okay, I think I will. <laughs> I think I'll lean on you there. You know, Maggie, when will you direct again? And what will you direct again? <laughs> Great uh, <laughs> Whatever it's going to be, it's going to be with Fonzie. 100%, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm working on it. I'm, I really am. I have a couple of ideas that are starting to, starting to get going and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited about them. I mean, I told Maggie, like, if, when she introduces me to people, she can say, this is my editor, because that's, uh, that's who I am. <laughs> <laughs> this is a beautiful movie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call Podcast on Deadline. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro, and our podcast series has been produced by David Janov. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.